Well, if you'll take a copy of God's Word and turn to Genesis chapter 22. Uh, if you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that on page uh, 20. We reach now really the climax of the uh, story of Abraham's life. He will begin to fade after this text. And so, if you will, take a copy of God's Word and let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Genesis chapter two, 22, excuse me, Genesis chapter 22, starting at verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. The third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father! And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his thorns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies." And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. And after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah has also borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, Buzz his brother, Kimuel the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildas, Jidlap, and Bethuel, Bethuel father of Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Ruma, bore Teba, Gaham, Tehash, and Maacah. This is the word of the Lord. 
Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask, O Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you would move deeply in our hearts. We pray for the anointing we need this morning. In the name of Christ, amen. Please be seated. We've been heading towards this this chapter uh, all along our study of the life of Abraham. Indeed, as I've thought about the other sermons that we've gone through, the text that we've studied, even when Abraham failed many times in our study, I kept coming back to this text, the shining point of Abraham's life. You remember that he was 75 years old when God called him and Sarah out of the Ur of the Chaldees and from Haran to go to the promised land. And God had promised him that he would make him into a great nation, and through him God would bless all the nations of the earth. But there was one very big problem. Sarah had always been barren, and now the way of women had passed by her. How in the world could they have offspring? How in the world could their offspring be a blessing to the nations, to all the earth, if they didn't first have offspring? And so they waited, and then they stopped waiting, and Abraham had Ishmael by Hagar, which God didn't approve of, and He had to be uh, thrown out of the household, lest he imperil the inheritance of the true heir. When that happened, they were heirless again. So 25 years after they entered into the promised land, 25 years. If you think about it, it was hard enough for a 65-year-old woman to have a child. It might be a little harder for a 90-year-old. No one has a child in their 90s. But God did what God does. He did one of those things that sounds just like God, right? And he opened up Sarah's womb, and she bore Isaac. And here was the child of promise. Here was the child who would carry Abram's name and lineage for generations to come. Here was the child through whom God would make a great nation and indeed would bless the whole world. Here was the child through whom the Messiah would come. So that's why it's so startling when we get to the beginning of chapter 22. Doesn't God know how this is supposed to work? This child that God had given to Abraham and Sarah through whom He was going to bless the nations? Why? So God calls him. Here I am, Abraham answers. And then God asks for the one thing that Abraham values more than anything else in the whole world, including his own life. Verse 2, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. A burnt offering is completely burnt up on the, one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Yesterday, um, Thomas and I went hunting. Thomas got a doe, praise be to God. Uh, and he shot the doe, dropped it, praise be to God. Uh, and... Uh, then we were going to sit for a while and see if something else came out, see if Daddy had a turn. And I thought, yeah, I might look over my sermon text one more time. God told Abraham, take your son, your only son, the son whom you love, as I'm sitting next to Thomas. There's no question 
So the Lord knew what he was asking. This text, over and over again, you hear this word, your son. Take your son. (laughs) And who's that? Oh, your only son. Which only son is that? The one you love. We're told in verse 1, the purpose of this command was to test Abraham. Abraham had faced many tests. Some he did well, some he didn't. Sounds just like our lives, right? But this time, he does well. You know, the purpose of testing, and and it comes to our lives all the time. Uh, James 1 tells us, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. You may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So God sends testing towards us through trials. It's going to happen. If you're a Christian, it's coming. There are two kinds of tests. There's the tests that God doesn't do. It's kind of like when you test a rope to see how strong it is. Do you know how you do that? The only way to do it is to break the rope. That's how you know it's breaking point. That's not what God does to us. Instead, he does the kind of testing you do for metals. And and the way that you, you prove metals is by you heat it up. You add heat to it. Lead, we used to do lead bullets, and we would do it about 750 degrees, and lead is a very low-level melting point. And then you, you skim off the top, all the dross, all the excess, and you look down and you can see your reflection in there. That'll preach somewhere. And that's what Jesus does to us, and he brings these tests into our lives to make our faith stronger. Don't you know that Abraham's, Abraham's faith was a, a bit stronger on the other end of chapter 22. God often brings distress into our lives. This is the uncomfortable truth. God often brings distress into our lives, often involving the things that we love the most. What are the things you love the most? Sometimes there are things we shouldn't love at all. And then sometimes there are things that God tells us to love. He often often brings trials into our lives into the areas that we treasure the most to strengthen our faith in Him, to point us to heaven, to the transient nature of this life, for the hope of the life to come, but on the other side of death, there is life forever. As one commentator put it, Abraham had to decide here whether he valued the gift or the giver more. The gift of Isaac had seemed to be the greatest gift ever given to him. We often use that kind of language to speak speak of our children, don't we? I I do. I'm a spouse. And yet, we are reminded here that the giver is better than the gift. You know, we're reminded in Matthew 16, 25, for whoever would save his life, what, what must he do? He must lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What does it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Deny yourself and take up your cross daily, Jesus says. It's striking that there's no pause between verse 2 and 3. You know, Abraham is not always obeyed in our study. He obeys quickly here. It's very striking. What does he do? He, he, uh, verse 2, we get the command. Verse 3, he rises early in the morning. He saddles his donkey, he takes two of his young servants with him, and the all-important Isaac. He cuts the wood to place on top of the altar, and they they make their way towards the place where God was directing them. It was common in those days to go somewhere to worship, kind of a pilgrimage kind of thing, so this wasn't abnormal. You would take provisions, you would take wood if it was needed. 
and you would take an animal. What's strange about this? There's no bleating. There's no buying. There's no animal on the end of a rope. The sacrifice is talking to his father along the way. Abraham, his faith and trust in the Lord led him to immediate obedience. Have you ever seen a round to it? You know what I'm talking about? I tried to order one for this morning, but you have to buy like a dozen of them online, and it's a round coin-looking thing. Mine was out of wood, and it has to it, T-U-I-T, written on it. It's a round to it. Because so often we say we're going to do it when we get a round to it. Guess what Abraham did? He got a round to it real quickly. Obedience is something, is a dish best served fresh and immediately, because it gets harder the longer we wait. And so Abraham, Isaac, and the two servants and the donkey set out together. What a long three days. Put yourself in Abraham's shoes. He alone knows what's going to take place. He has great faith and trust that God's going to take care of the situation. We'll get to that in a second. But as far as he knows, he's going to have to plunge a knife into his son and then burn him up on an altar. Can you imagine that? Don't you think he soaked up every minute of that time along the way? Isaac was a teenager by this point, we think. Pretty sure the Hebrews does not indicate a small child. Don't you know that when, perhaps when Isaac would begin to fall asleep, Abraham would <clears throat> wake him up so they could keep talking? Or along the road, asking him every question he could, certainly he cherished every moment. Then on the day, the third day, huh, well, we've heard that before. The third day, he looked up and he saw the place he was supposed to go. This is the turning point in the story. He gets serious. He tells his servants to stay there. He puts the wood on his son Isaac. Doesn't that take you straight to Jesus? That the sacrifice would carry the instruments of his own death, his own sacrifice. He put the wood on his son Isaac that he might walk up the mountain, just like our Savior walked up Mount Calvary. Abraham carries the instruments of death, the fire, and the knife, and they head up Mount Moriah. Keep in mind something about Mount Moriah. History tells us that Mount Moriah was used really well later. It's also known as the Temple Mount, where Solomon's temple was built. There's, there's going to be a sacrifice today and how many sacrifices were made at the Temple Mount, pointing to the ultimate sacrifice on another mount outside the city gates at Mount Calvary. There's several things that are striking about this point in the text. Verse 5 says, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and will worship and come again to you. <laughs> now, in English, we do our verbs in kind of ambiguous ways. It's not real clear from the English, but it's super clear in the Hebrew Abraham's not talking about going to the mountain and then coming back by himself. The Hebrew would literally say, we will go over there and we worship and we come again to you. Abraham didn't know what the Lord was doing, but he believed that God would take care of it. He didn't know the outcome, but he knew what the Lord had commanded him to do. You know, that's the hardest time when we are called to exercise trust in our Lord, isn't it? 
as I'm telling you this, turn to Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. I'll give you time to get there. It's a really important text talking about Abraham. You know, Abraham uh, was being called to do something really, really hard. I mean, we don't even have words for it. And a lot of times we're called to do hard things too. And we don't know how the Lord's going to take care of it. But we can trust He will. So we find out a little bit more about the faith of Abraham from the great hall of faith from Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 17 and following, we see this. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And when he had received the promises, excuse me, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. There it is again, his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And so as Abraham went forth, he thought he was going to have to kill his son, and if it meant that God was going to raise him from the dead, he'd take care of that. I desire to have strong faith. Do you desire to have strong faith? Ultimately, our faith is in, in, is, is in someone. It is not our faith that is terribly the focus. It's the object of our faith. Christ is the one who does it all. But I desire to grow in my trust of Christ and in the goodness of Christ. I've seen Him proven time and time again, oh, for grace to trust Him more. And oftentimes, God grows that trust by taking us through hard seasons. And in those moments, we can take the opportunity either to flail and flounder, even while God holds us fast, or we can remember that God holds us fast and continue to step in faith, even when we don't know how it's going to work out. May the Lord grow my faith. Verses 7 through 8. Isaac's no dummy. What does he ask? <laughs> Behold the wood. Here's the wood. Here's the fire. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Verse 8. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Okay, so this is, there's something really important here going on. The Hebrew word for translated, translated for provide here is literally to see. For God to see is to provide. And we're going to see it again in a few verses. God will provide. He will see it. It's kind of like when we say, He will see to it. When you go to someone and says, I've got a problem, say, oh, don't worry about it, I'll see to it. Or I've made this mess, oh, well, that's fine, I'll see to it. Our God is the one who sees to it. That which He has called us to do, He sees to it that we have the grace and strength to do it when we're faithful and obedient to follow Him along the narrow way. The Lord would see to the sacrifice that it would be provided. So they keep walking. So they read in 8b, they both of them went together. Here's the picture. Isaac's probably an adolescent here, the very youngest. We know this because he's able to carry wood up the side of the mountain, uh, likely a long slope. Abraham was 100 when Isaac was born. So Abraham is probably in what, his hundred teens? Is, I don't, is that what you call it? Father and son begin the long climb, and then they arrive at the place that God had revealed to Abraham. Can you imagine the pit in his stomach? And at this point, he helps Isaac remove the wood off his back. He takes stones 
Perhaps Isaac had to use to get the larger stones, as old as Abraham was. And Abraham takes the wood and he arranges it on the top, still no sign of an animal. God will see to it. And he turns to Isaac and he binds him. A lot of questions about how that happened. Did Isaac have to exercise faith here too? He could have overpowered his pa. So Isaac ends up on the stone, on the wood, bound, apparently compliant. Then Abraham stretches out his arm and he takes the knife. Now this knife is no small knife. This is I have my, my pocket knife. It's, it's, not, it's not like this, right? The, the, the Hebrew word is the word that is used of large knives, like a meat cleaver or a machete, in order to slaughter his son. Lord, have mercy. Think about the cross at this point. Think about the cross at this point. Because then God stops him. Abraham, Abraham. Can you imagine the relief that must have gone through Abraham's heart at this point? Here am I. So the angel of the Lord, who very well may be the pre-incarnate Christ, it's hard to know, but it's, he, the angel of the Lord speaks for God, and he's identified as God. It's, it's a, there's mystery there. It's, it's, in this passage it says, you have feared God, and you've not withheld from me. And so there's more than just an angelic presence here. This is God speaking. And he stopped him from doing it. The knife never plunged. But Abraham had basically sacrificed Isaac. Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw a ram, a ram that had just appeared. God will see to it. Caught in the thicket near them. He quickly unbinds his son. Don't you know he was fast about that one? Let's get you off that wood, son. I think I'd be singing the doxology at that point. Gleeful that the Lord had provided a substitute. And that's the key here, isn't it? A substitute. He took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his only son. I can't imagine the tears streaming down Abraham's face. It's easy to get to Jesus from this passage. The Lord tells Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son, the son whom he loves. And God also sent his son, his only son, his beloved, the son whom he loves, to be a sacrifice. Isaac, in faith and obedience, was faithful to the commands of his father, just as Jesus was faithful to the commands of his father. For I have, come, I have not come down from heaven to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. This is the will of my father, that whoever looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Think about the raising that goes on in this passage. That, that Isaac is basically brought back from the dead, figuratively speaking, according to Hebrews 11. And our Savior was sacrificed on the cross outside of the gates of Jerusalem. And He was raised up so that we might be raised up. But there had to be a substitute. There had to be a substitute for you and for me. 
See, there was no voice that cried out to Paul's to stop the sacrifice of Jesus. In fact, there was silence from heaven. As according to Isaiah 53, the father crushed his son. It pleased him so that the sins of us all might be laid on him. And that we who were far off might be brought near. We who were spiritually dead might be brought to life. We who deserve hell forever might be redeemed and adopted as the very children of God. Isaac carried the wood upon his body. And Jesus carried the wood of his execution as well. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. How do we land this plane? There's so much more meat on this bone. Study this text on your own. Our text is going to end with God reiterating the promises that he had made to Abraham, because ultimately this text is about so much more than just Isaac. Isaac was preserved so that, one, God would be glorified, second, so that he might be of the line from which Jesus would come. Galatians 3 picks up this passage, this text, saying that this really didn't refer just to Isaac. It was referring to Jesus, the true offspring of Abraham, the one who would come and lay down his life for us. At the end of Abraham's story here, everyone goes home because of God's faithfulness. Right? Abraham and Isaac would go home to live in the promised land, a land that was not yet theirs. When our journey is over, for those who trust in the Lord, we will go home as well to the true promised land because there was a substitute on Calvary for us. The tomb was not empty, and our Savior was raised from the dead, that all those who entrust their lives to Him, He will raise up on that day. That day, as we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for... um, the obedience of Christ in our place. We thank you for his substitutionary death and atonement in our place. We thank you that you have redeemed us and given us the very righteousness of God, not because of anything in us, but because of what Christ has done for us. We pray these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Stay seated as we sing our hymn of preparation, uh, 195 verses 1 and 2 only to begin with, uh, nothing but the blood.
take a few minutes and prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. Amen. Because there was blood shed at Calvary, the blood of our Savior Jesus, the God-man Emmanuel, the second person of the Trinity who took on flesh so that he might save his people from their sins. Because that happened, we have a table fellowship unlike any other.